Thanks, everyone. Really, really good to be here again with you. I, I, it's not that often, but whenever I come here, I love coming here to City Hope. There's such joy here, such faith, such a diverse community. In fact, everything that Jesus wanted the church to be. Um, and you need to hear that sometimes, because especially if you've been around for a, a long time in church, or it's your family, like all our families, you get to know what things don't work well, or get to know things you'd like to be different. Um, and I want you to know that coming in uh, from someone, uh, coming in occasionally, um, and seeing what God is doing, uh, I think this is very, very good. And uh, God is here, God is with you. Uh, there's that sense of newness, uh, that sense of a new season, that sense of God working and speaking, um, and just a sense of his favor on you. Um, and it's all I can do not to start prophesying right now, because I really do need to do something from the Bible, apparently, because <laughs> clearly I'm not known for doing that. <laughs> so, but honestly, God is with you. There's such joy. You've got so much here that this community and this city needs. Um, I was, uh, early in the week, I was in northern Cyprus with Alexi and Sharo, uh, a couple who you know very, very well, dear friends of yours. Um, so they send their love, lots and lots of love. I said to them, I'll be here on Sunday. Their face lit up. And that was uh, them saying, that's our home, that's our family. Please say hello. They're doing very, very well. And uh, they are in their little house they're renting in northern Cyprus while they're working there before they look to go on to the Middle East. Uh, this house, as I'm sure Dave and Leslie have told you, is kind of halfway up the mountains. Um, in summer, it's probably lovely and warm. Um, and because it's like that most of the year, they don't have heating in houses in northern Cyprus. So we sat there in our coats on for the entire time we were there, um, and Sharo lit this fantastic fire. Uh, so at least he's, he's learned some new skills. So as he spent ages kind of getting the wood ready, and uh, was absolutely brilliant. And their children are doing well. They're flourishing. Keep praying for them. Um, they're there working. But that's not what they've gone there for. Um, they're making community contacts into the community, seeing God work. And of course, it's a stop before they move on. So keep sending them well. Keep praying for them. Um, it means such a huge amount to them. I'm blessed by the word our brother brought us earlier about time, um, taking his watch off, putting it in his pocket, and realizing that God made everything work. I'll do the same with the preaching. I felt yeah. that gave me permission. So um, we're going to look at a story uh, in the Gospels. It will come up on the screen um, in a moment. It's a very well-known story. It's one you'll be familiar with. Um, but it's a unique story. It's where Jesus feeds a huge crowd of people. We call it the feeding of the 5,000. There was a lot more people there than that. And what's unique about this story, it's the only one that appears in all four of the Gospels in terms of the miracles of Jesus. Other than his death and resurrection, this story seems to be so very, very important that all of the Gospel writers say this one gets to be in. Um, and out of everything else that they could do, this one seems to have priority. And there's a lot. Uh, that's in here, and we're going to read through the passage. It will come up uh, on the screen, Mark 6. Um, I'm not sure if we've got the same versions, but don't worry about that. I'm just going to read through this um, and uh, then draw some things out as we go, just to set the scene for you in the way that Mark tells it for a couple of verses earlier. Um, a couple of things had happened. The disciples have just come back. Jesus had sent them out and said, look, you've seen me do some things. You've seen me teach that the kingdom's here. You've seen me heal. Uh, you go and do this now. And he sent them into the villages and communities. And this is them coming back. It says that at the beginning of the story. They reported to Jesus everything they'd seen and heard. They're excited. They're 
bubbling with what God has done. They're amazed that, hey, we've seen Jesus do it, but actually it seems that we can do this too. But also what Mark tells us right at the start of the story, which is important, as we'll see later, is that John the Baptist has just been killed. And the disciples have just heard this news. John the Baptist um, is like a prophet, really, who comes before Jesus and he tells God's people, Israel, that the Messiah is about to come. Um, And he attracts huge crowds. And he has a bit of a run-in with Herod. Herod's the political ruler, kind of ruling on behalf of Rome. Um, Not a terribly nice man. Uh, And John the Baptist... Uh, upsets him, or more upsets his wife, because actually she had been married to his brother, now she's married to him, um, and John the Baptist says, this is wrong, how can you be ruling on God's behalf, um, and this is not pleasing to God, and his wife, Herod's wife, didn't like this, and through another incident at a big feast, big party that Herod was having for all his generals, lots of wine, lots of food, all the powerful men would have been there, and the uh, Herod's wife's daughter dances for them all. They're pleased. They say, oh, she's beautiful. This is amazing. There's music. There's drink. So Herod says, because she has pleased everybody and made him look good, because that's how it works in those cultures, Herod's sitting looking very pleased with himself because all his generals love how the daughter's dancing. She says, oh, I'll give you anything. What do you want? She talks to mum. Mum says, give me the head of John the Baptist. And so out of this feast... Out of this party turns a command to have John the Baptist, the prophet, the forerunner of Jesus, killed. So you've got a couple of things going on. It's important for the story. The disciples have just come back, having seen miracles, and they hear the news. John the Baptist has been killed. There's a political ruler who is now flexing his muscles. He's kind of left us alone, but now he's come after after John the Baptist. So there's a sense of foreboding, there's a sense of danger, there's a sense that the political scene could be changing and getting difficult. So that's the background uh, before we get into this. So, verse 30, Mark 6, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. So he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, and let's get some rest. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus sees they're tired. Yeah, they've had a good time. Um, crowds are coming, and Jesus says, now come on, we'll, we'll get some rest. I'll just take you away. Jesus sees our needs. Jesus knows our needs. He knows when we're tired. He knows when we're weary. And I bet there's some of you here this morning who'd be thinking, yeah, I'd love that. I'd love just to be able to get away and get some rest with Jesus. That's what I'd like right now. And that's clearly what the disciples were thinking. They went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And here's where it all begins to go wrong if you're looking for rest. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a loud crowd... He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, because it's Jesus and we know he's the good guy, we kind of think, oh, that's lovely. But if you were a disciple and you haven't had anything to eat yet and you're tired and you've heard that Herod has taken out the prophet and you're wondering what's going on and it doesn't seem like a safe environment... 
and Jesus is saying, come on, let's go and get some rest. You think, yes, time with Jesus. In the boat, we'll go where it's quiet. You arrive, and there's hundreds and thousands of people, and Jesus says, let's have a seminar. Let's have a conference. Let's teach. If you're one of the disciples, you're not going to jump around thinking, yes, that's exactly what we've come here for, Jesus. Thank you so much. You wouldn't. Come on, get real about what's going on here. I know it's Jesus. He think, well, he's in charge. He's lovely. No, think what you would be feeling at this moment. You see the crowds. You would at least, at least, even some of you English people who every now and again we may let our emotions come out, you would at least sigh. Oh, you'd be thinking a lot worse than that, but you'd, you wouldn't let your face know. You'd at least kind of, oh, what's going on? Jesus had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. See, the crowds had been there on the other side of the lake, and he said, come on, we'll go away and get some rest. But when he sees their hunger, when he sees their desire, when he sees that they will run from all the towns and villages to find him, that moves his heart. And he thinks, I'm going to give them time now. Sorry, disciples. They've run here. They've come here from all kinds of places. There's huge need here. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Remember that phrase, Mark wants us. To remember that, we'll come back to it later. They're like sheep without a shepherd. It's time. I'm going to teach them now. There are times when Jesus will give us rest. There are times when Jesus will come to us and meet our needs in the church, people who know him. Of course he wants to do that. He's promised us that. We'll see that really clearly as the story goes on. But one thing which will always, always take priority are the lost, as the Gospels call them. Those who don't know. Those who have even greater needs than us. And one of the things that I know matters for you as a church is come through this morning. It's not simply that we sit here and enjoy the presence of God. It's not simply that we sit here and know his love, his grace, his mercy and celebrate that. That's wonderful. But it's not to finish here. There are thousands and tens of thousands who have no idea of the joy, peace and security which we have in knowing Jesus and the freedom and liberty that comes knowing that death isn't the end and knowing that whatever else happens in this life, whatever else happens with political rulers and laws being passed or no matter what's happening in other places of the world where you can't do this freedom uh, in freedom and, and openness, that we have a hope, a Messiah called Jesus. And the church isn't to be the place where that gets to be our secret, our blessing, our needs met, where we get stuffed full while the world is hungry. Jesus will always, always, always go after them. There's a parable where where Jesus talks about the shepherd who will leave the 99 to go after the one. If you really think about that, that's quite offensive. Because he's leaving them still in the wilderness. He's leaving them still in a place where there are predators who could come and get them. But he's thinking, there's 99 of you, there's one that's on its own. I'll go for the one. And that's what's happening here. That's what a shepherd does. Disciples, look, we came here. I know you're hungry. I know you're tired. And I know I just left the crowds. But look, the crowds are even more hungry. They're even more thirsty. And they've got no one. So Jesus begins to teach. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. 
I think Jesus knew that because he'd said, let's go to a remote place. So this is the disciples trying to hint, trying to let Jesus know. This is a remote place. You think, what's your point? We know that. That's why we came. That's why I'm teaching, because all these people came to a remote place. This isn't the center of the city. This isn't the central train station, bus station. There's nothing here. That's why we came. And now all of them have come. And that's why I'm teaching them. Such is their hunger and thirst for truth. They've come to this remote place. Yes, I know, says Jesus. What's your point? Look, I know it's not in the story, but I'm adding bits to the Bible. That's what Vic was worried about, you see. He said, <laughs> I'm adding bits. But you, this is real. This is what was going on. The disciples want to make a point. And it's already very late. Yes, Jesus knows that. He said it at the beginning. It's late. You have anything to eat? Let's go to a remote place. Here you go. Here's the point. Send them a people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, again, we, many of us will know the story, so we can think where this is going. But just pause for a moment. I think if you and I were there, we would be with the disciples. We think, good decision. It's very, very late. We know in a while that there's thousands and thousands of them. Now, they can see that. And it's a remote place. There's no shops. There's no KFC, McDonald's, Burger King, Pizza Hut, or anything else. You're not just going to get on your iPad and order yourself a takeaway. Hands up. Right, how many pizzas do we want? Well, I reckon that's about uh, 8,500. Anyone want extra pepperoni or whatever else? Any cheese? You're not going to ring up anybody. You're not going to be able to get any food. The disciples are making a very practical point. They're stating the obvious, uh, that it's remote, but they're saying, come on, Jesus, what are we going to do? They need to go and get some food. They need to go and eat. Do you think as if Jesus doesn't know that? As if Jesus doesn't know what's going on? The disciples, their own kind of, I don't know, perhaps tiredness, emotional emptiness is coming in, saying, come on, Jesus, let's wrap this up now. <laughs> come on, we haven't eaten either. That's what they're really saying. Where's our food? <laughs> Where, we need something to drink. And we can't get it around here. Send them away. So... Practical, straightforward, I'd be with the disciples. Yes? We'd, I, come on, don't go all holy on me and say no. Now, we're with Jesus, because Jesus is lovely. Now, you'd be there saying, I'm hungry, Jesus. Send them away. I want, me, I want some tea. You promised us some time. Look, thousands of them. Get rid of them, please. How can we feed them? And this is where it gets really, really exciting and provocative. And crazy, really, because Jesus answered... You give them something to eat. Now, hang on. Rewind back to the beginning. Why have they gone to the other side of the lake? Because they're hungry. They hadn't eaten. It tells us that at the beginning of the story. They haven't had food. So Jesus knows they're not sitting on a packed lunch or got a pack up ready or they're not just going to be able to ring up and get some lunch, some, from, some dinner from somewhere. Jesus knows they're hungry. Jesus knows they haven't got anything. What is Jesus' point? What is Jesus thinking? Everything is turned over. The story begins. We've come back. We're tired. We're hungry. It's amazing what we saw happen as we proclaimed the kingdom, healed the sick. We saw the things you did. It's amazing what's going on. But we're tired. We're worn out. I know. Come on. Come with me. We'll go to a quiet place. We need some food. That's where it starts. Within two sentences, the whole thing is flipped on its head. There's thousands of people. Jesus isn't thinking about them. He says, you feed them. 
And I don't know, what's the response? Just pause the fact you know what's coming. Really, Jesus? You want us to feed them? That's what City Hope is here for. To feed the crowds. You can feel overwhelmed by the need. You can look out and you can see thousands upon thousands and you can think, well, I haven't got anything. Hey, I'm only in the room this morning because I'm hoping Jesus is going to meet my need. I'm only here this morning because I'm crying out. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm the one that's running on nothing. You've seen the kind of week or the kind of month I've had? You've seen the decisions I've made at work? I don't know how I'm going to keep up. I don't know how I'm going to cope. I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to get my rent sorted all this year. We've had another baby. We Beautiful, gorgeous, but we weren't kind of planning it. I'm not sure the maths is going to work out. And you're telling me it's them? And you're telling me that Jesus wants those needs met? That's what Jesus is saying to disciples in this moment. They come to Jesus. Jesus, it's tired. It's, it's late. It's remote. There's nothing here. You send them away. And really, in the background too is, and we haven't got anything. And Jesus, you know that. Because you brought us here. And Jesus says, you meet the need. You feed them. So they're pretty quick on the uptake. Maybe they'd worked this out already. Maybe they'd already had a conversation. Maybe they'd already been talking in the background while Jesus is teaching. Maybe it was Peter, the one with the mouth. We were like, Peter, he's the first one to talk. And I I don't know. This is total guesswork, okay? The rest of the stuff I've said up to this point is accurate because it's what would have happened. Now I'm just guessing because I I like to do that. You read the Bible. I think, what was really going on? Because they've worked out how much this is going to cost. Maybe they had a chat. Maybe when Jesus is teaching and talking about the kingdom and talking about his Father in heaven, talking about what's going on, they're saying, how are we going to feed this? What are we going to do? There's a lot of people here. And just to help some of you with this, many of you from other cultures will get this. You don't host a big crowd like Jesus is without food. Food is really, really important. You don't teach for this long with this many people about the goodness and greatness of God, which I think is probably what Jesus would have been teaching, because he teaches about that a lot, without offering food. Food is just what happens. You don't go far in the yeast without food. Why do you think Dave Nunn and I go there so often? (laughs) I'm grateful that you think it's church, but really, the food is amazing. You don't do much without food. The disciples are there, not simply kind of a practical thing, but simply culturally. We need food. All these people, Jesus. And they, who's going to tell him? Pete, you're the one with the big mouth. You go and tell him. Well, let's work out. What, what, how can we do this? Wait, do you realize how much this will cost? I don't know if all of that had happened beforehand. I'm guessing it probably had. Because immediately they turn around and they say to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. We've worked it out. It's a lot of pizza. It's a lot of chicken wings. It's a lot of KFC bargain buckets. How are we going to do this? Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And there's no bakers nearby. They can't find their bread. But do you really want us? See, they're counting the cost to them. They're not even talking about where they'll find it. They're not even talking about where they could get it from. Jesus, we've just been out in towns and villages. We've just given and given and given. And it was amazing and fantastic. But we're tired And even if we could solve this problem practically, this is how much it would cost us. Jesus doesn't let up. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. 
When they found out, and it says in the other gospel accounts, they went round asking people. They said five and two fish. Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Just notice the phrase green grass. Other than in summer, when it's been really hot, normally grass is green. So Mark is making a point. Why is he telling us sit down on the green grass? If he said red grass, you'd be thinking, hey, what's going on here? He's making a point. We'll come back to it. Shepherds, green grass. So Jesus is telling them to get everybody organized. What we need to understand here is the tension in the story is mounting. There's massive need. You don't do anything without having food. Everyone knows there isn't food. And Jesus has told the disciples, go and find out how much food there is. We, but we've already worked out how much it's going to cost. Now go and find out. Go and see what there is. But there's no shops, Jesus. There's, there's no outlets out here. This is remote. There's no big village communities. There's no town that can... Uh, go, go and find out. So they go around the crowd. This isn't going to send the PA crazy if I get down, is it? I'm like, I'm okay. So excuse me, we need... Looking for bread. Food, yeah? No, you wouldn't have anything, would you? And if you did, you'd have eaten it. You got anything? <laughs> Everyone knows... <laughs> Excuse me, you got any, no bread over here. Excuse me, Jesus just wants to know, have you, have you got any, any food? Uh, any, nothing? Mark, I've got nothing. Have you got anything? No, I've got nothing. So they're going around this huge crowd who also obviously know it's a remote place and it's getting dark and it's late and they're asking for food. So this was, to start with, the disciples' problem. Now the word is spreading. So I've just wandered over here and asked if Paul's got anything. Paul hasn't got anything, but he starts saying, hey, we're going to eat. Great, we're not going to have to go home. We're going to eat. And these guys are saying, we're going to eat. Jesus is asking for food. Fact, we're going to eat. Oh, God, I was wondering what we're going to do. I'm loving what Jesus is teaching. I'm loving what he's saying. I'm so glad we ran over to the other side of the lake. It's brilliant. And now it looks like we're not going to have to leave early because they're talking about food. Jesus has just upped the expectation and the pressure because the whole crowd are talking about food now. That's how it would work in the East. As the disciples went out and spoke to family group, family group, they'd been there, whole, or they came from all the villages and towns. So they would have come in groups. And the disciples have gone round. And then they come back and say, this is all we've got. We've got five loaves and two fish. Just to help some of you, again, process this, because you're jumping to the end of the story, that's not very much. That's not a lot. That's uh, Paul would manage it on his own. Very hungry. It's been a long day. Maybe front row. You'd get some Vic, maybe. <laughs> no, he doesn't believe me. He knows Paul too well. <laughs> Five loaves, two fish. It's not much. That's all they've got. That's all they could find out. I don't know if they asked every family group or if they asked every village group, every tribal group. I don't know. story doesn't tell us. All it tells us is that's all they could find. I think they probably would have asked most people because Jesus had told them to. They'd argued, albeit politely, Jesus, do you really want us to uh, get that much and spend that much money? Jesus said, go and find out how much have you got. So I think they probably would have asked most people. Jesus then says, get them to sit down in groups of 50s and 100. They're organizing for food. They're organizing to eat. And the disciples know there's not enough. See, Jesus will ask us, to feed the multitudes. He'll ask us to love our neighbors as ourselves. He'll ask us to go into the communities around here, regardless of whether we've got enough or not. 
regardless of whether City Hope's budget is enough, regardless of whether we think we know how to answer people's questions, meet their needs, change our communities, or whatever else, Jesus will still ask us to go. The going has nothing to do with our resources. The going has nothing to do with what we know, what we understand, or our strategies. The fruitfulness of City Hope Church is not going to rest on strategies, ideas, or getting it all worked out for the next season. As you sense the wind of the Spirit blowing on you again, it's not a new thing. And it's not because anything has been wrong. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. I'm not a young man. I've been around long enough to know there are seasons, to know that the Spirit comes in waves. And yes, there are times when you can look at others and think, well, they seem to be seeing more than us. And yes, there's things we can learn from others. But in the end, meeting the needs of the communities around us, going to them with compassion and mercy, has nothing to do with what you have. But the disciples are having to go around and say, guys, can, can we get in groups, please? Can we get down, sit on the grass now? And uh, 50, oh, you're all together. Okay, well, maybe you have a group of 100. Can we get into 50s up here? Great, thank you. I know you're a couple of different families. That's fine. If you could just sit together. Another, oh, you're from the same village. Great, just have around about 100 there. And they're going around the crowd, getting people to sit down. And the crowd know there's no food. The crowd know, possibly, I don't know if they all know, but certainly some would know, but we're sitting down. What's going to happen? I think we're going to eat. Where's the food coming from? I've just worked it out. It's going to cost a fortune to fit. Have you seen how many are here? Look, there's even those, that crew from the other side of the lake. They've come as well. Everybody's here. How much food they got? Someone said five. Five what? Five huge lorry truckloads? Five camels worth? I don't know. Donkeys? They're five loaves. Are these big loaves? No, just the five round flat breads, which will be common in that area. A bit like pita bread, a bit bigger. And some fish. What, a whale? No, just, just two fish out the lake. They're not big, about that big. They tell us to sit down because we're going to eat. How's it? I don't know. Let's just do it at all. The master, the Lord, Jesus, he wants us to sit. Well, we'll sit. Apparently, he can open the eyes of the blind. He's healed people who couldn't walk. So if he wants us to sit, I think we'll sit. Imagine what's going through the disciples' mind as they walk around. Some of the potential shame that they could be feeling because they know they don't have enough. But in an Eastern culture, they're trying to honor Jesus by obeying him, but feeling shame because they're getting the crowds to sit down for something they know they're not going to get. That's what's going on internally. So you never know a miracle's going to happen until it happens. You never know that God's going to come through until after he's come through. And sometimes Jesus will push you right to the line. But you don't know there's a line. If you knew the line was there, you'd cross it easily. So if I take this one more step, Jesus, it's going to happen? Fantastic. You don't know. When did the disciples know? They're getting them all to sit down. I've got to get a move on. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, verse 41 now, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks. Everyone can see now. Everyone knows what's about to happen. There's no doubt. He's lifting it up. How much has he got? Can you see? Well, he's just got a few things in his hand. There must be more on the floor. 
No, there's nothing. That's everything. What has he got? Now the whole crowd are wondering what's going to happen. Now the whole crowd are looking. Every eye is on Jesus. Every eye is on these handful of flatbreads and fish. He gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the fish among them all. Now let's just pause here again. Because I've got this question. How does this work? I know it's a miracle, but at what point is there enough? So Jesus has got five loaves. And there's these probably about the 12 disciples. I don't know if there was a bigger crowd. It says the apostles. That's normally the 12. So Pete, you take some. Take it over there. Mark. John, you take some. Matthew. So disciples take what I can only assume is just a handful. So uh, you're the first group. Well done. Sit at the front. Always pays off. There's your bread. Back they go. Jesus surely will be on the last loaf by now because all the others have taken it. Oh, there's still enough. Good. <laughs> Maybe Mark was a bit slow coming back. I've got some more. That's a relief. I have to be embarrassed. Uh, you, you guys are pleased. You're going to get some bread. Back we go. Now, if there's 50, I've given him a handful. Where's the miracle now? Does he sit at it? Look at it. At that point, did it suddenly turn into a huge loaf? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. Apparently, scholars say, understand the language behind all of this, that the word break is a sense of continually breaking. In other words, the, the text suggests, as it was broken and shared, it multiplied. Which means at no point is there a big enough piece of bread for the, for the people you're about to feed, it's only as you break it. Does that make sense? That seems to be what the language is suggestion. Because the whole thing's a mystery, so it's not... But that sense, as you give, as you give, as you give. So Pete comes back, he's just taken some to 50, he's taken some to 100, he's taken some to another 100 and to another 50. He's watching Matthew, he's watching Mark, he's watching John, and he's seeing they've got enough, they've got enough, they've got enough, and Jesus is still breaking bread, and yet they've been running backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, and they're going to the back of the crowd. Then they come, and as they walk past, they see these guys are still eating. He glances over his shoulder, these guys are still eating. There's 50 of them now on the grass, they're all eating bread, but he only gave them a handful. He comes back to Jesus, Jesus is still breaking bread. He knows Mark has taken it to at least five groups of a hundred and he knows that Mark is now going again and Matthew's doing the same and he comes and there's still bread, there's still bread, there's still bread there's still bread, at some point in that process faith came and they knew they were seeing something that they'd never ever seen before but it didn't happen in one moment it didn't happen that suddenly Peter gets the bread off Jesus, wow look at this hey guys you're going to have a feast he just took a handful, a handful a handful, it was always a handful and then the fish. There's only two of them. You can think five, 5,000. That doesn't work. But two and 5,000. And then they do the same with the fish. Hey, guys, you've got second course now. At this point, Pete's running. Mark's running. Matthew's running. Hey, they've got this. This is amazing. You wait until everyone hears about this. And then, if this isn't enough, make your head spin. Verse 42. They all ate. Say all. It's a lot of people. And they didn't just snack. It wasn't just a nibble. You don't just do snacks and nibbles in the Middle East. If you're ever inviting people around for food from the Middle East, don't give them snacks. That's not food. They don't understand that we put out a few Doritos and a dip and call that supper. It doesn't make any... That's not food. You need at least five courses. 
or enough to kind of, and stuff left over. That's how it works. So when it says satisfied, that's what we're talking about. You got guys here, you got families, you got ravenous children, kids running around. Everybody ate their full. Five loaves, two fish, over 5,000 from all the towns and communities. Jesus said, you feed them. They said, we haven't got enough. And where's the money going to come from? And Jesus lifted it up to his father and said, thank you. And there was enough. And just, this bit really does kind of, he wanted the Bible. Here's the Bible. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. That's more than what they started with. (laughs) If the miracle finished there, it it would still blow me away. But to have even more left over, no wonder this story is in all the Gospels. Twelve basketfuls. I've got no idea if big baskets, small, who knows? Chances are these are baskets you can carry by hand, quite big. There's twelve left. number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Wow. And the crowds were fed and everybody ate. We need to draw some things out of this quickly. Obviously, God's been speaking all the way through. Firstly, one of the reasons this makes all the Gospels is because this story is really about who Jesus is. This is really making a statement to Israel who it is who's amongst them. In the Old Testament, there's a time when they're in the wilderness for about 40 years and there's no food and that's a remote place and every morning they would wake up and there's manna. Moses, their leader, had asked God to feed the Israelites. The crowds, they're in the wilderness again and there's no food. And this time there's bread. The Israelites are understanding someone greater than Moses is here. Jesus himself is the bread of life. When John tells the story straight after this, he makes that statement. Jesus is the bread of life. This story is about Jesus. It's about who he is. It's about the fact that he is bread that gives life. That the wickedness and evil of people like Herod and corrupt political powers and individual sin and evil and wickedness and injustice will be overcome by Jesus' life. Later in the story, much, much later, He'll break bread again. And he will say, this is my body given for you. And it's through Jesus giving his life that righteousness, hope, justice, and peace comes again into the world. This story is all about who Jesus is. There is one greater than Moses standing among you. And yeah, his teaching is like nothing they've seen before. His authority is like nothing they've seen before. But he himself is the one from heaven greater than Moses. He's the creator. This is a miracle of creation. How can you start with five and finish with 12? Because he creates the bread, multiplies in his hand. Jesus spoke all of this into the world, into being. Everything we can see, touch, everything that space is still, they're still discovering in space and new galaxies, remarkable. Jesus spoke and it happened. The one from heaven, the creator, is now standing in the crowd and bread and fish are being multiplied because he is the creator. Twelve baskets, twelve for Israel. One greater than Moses. That's what this miracle is about. That's who we worship. That's who we love. That's whose presence is with us today. But that bread of life is bread which satisfies. 
It's bread which meets every need, every hunger, every longing. Some of you this morning, if you're still trying to work out what church is or who Jesus is or what this gospel is, you need to understand this. It's not about rules. It's not about a religion, trying to be better, trying to improve. It's not even about these kind of meetings, although these do us a lot of good and we love being with God in these meetings. You can feel the joy and happiness here. It's about this, that we were made by God to know him, to be in relationship with him, to know goodness and righteousness and all of those beautiful words. But sin, selfishness, injustice has totally ruined it. And that's not fixed by rules, religion, regulations, and us doing more things. It's fixed by Jesus, his life. He came to give life. That's what this story is about. And being a believer in Jesus, being a disciple, being a Christian is someone who says every longing, every desire, everything I thirst for, everything I'm hungry for is met in Jesus. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus. Some of you this morning know that, but the reason why Jesus has brought you here this morning is because he wants you to hear that afresh. There's been a lot of busyness going on, a lot of demands on your time, your energy. You've been running hard, running fast. Maybe began to kind of look for other things to fulfill your life again. Jesus is calling you back this morning. He's the bread of life. He's the bread of life. Some of you, I just see someone who's been weeping recently. Just seeing a picture, vision, if you like now. Because you felt lost. You've not gone back on your faith. You're still a believer. You still come here. But you felt lost and a bit lonely. And Jesus is calling you to say, I'm the answer. I'm the bread of life. Those longings for significance, that desire for love, you're only going to find it with me. And he's calling you back this morning to say, he is the bread of life. Next thing in this story, Jesus has enough. That's what this story is about. Jesus is asking City Hope. He's asking you in your workplace, in your community, in your district, you as a mum, you as a dad, you at the later years of your life, to bring bread to the people around you. And you can think, but I've got enough. I don't even know what to say to them. And if they ask me all those complicated questions, I don't know what to say. Or they're so different from me. They, they, they come from another nation or, or they have a different culture from me. Jesus doesn't want you to have enough. He doesn't want you to have it all worked out. He doesn't need you to. Jesus has got enough. You'll never have enough. I hope City Houses for Prophecy. I hope City Hope Church never has enough. Because you're always out on the edge giving it away and seeing Jesus multiply it. See, what Jesus asked of us is not that we have it worked out, sewn up, got all the answers, got equipped, got trained, been to the seminars, been to the conferences, read the books, done all the stuff, and hey, now we're ready to go. You will never be ready to go until you say, Jesus, you're enough, and I will give away what you have given me. That's all Jesus asks. As he said to Peter, Pete, take this to the fifty. And come back, get some more. Pete, do you have enough? Yeah, amazing. They're all eating, Lord. Pete, take some more. I'll give you some more. Comes back. They, they've got enough. Here's some more, Pete. Off you go. Same with Mark, same with Matthew. It's all going on in the story. It's all there. Well, Jesus asks, is everything you've received this morning, you give away. Peace, bring peace to others. Bring love to others. You think, yeah, but they don't always receive it. Or I don't always see them interested or I don't always see them coming back but don't worry about that Jesus will take care of that Amen. he just asks that you give you give you 
give. Finally, we'll finish on this. Jesus had compassion. People like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. That's what Mark wants us to know. And Mark tells us about Herod and John the Baptist because he wants us to, he's contrasting Herod's party, Herod's feast of lots of wine, lots of food, earthly power and earthly kingdom that becomes oppressive and becomes like a dictator. You want John the Baptist's head? We can have his head with Jesus who comes and gathers a huge crowd and says, I will feed you bread. I will feed you fish. You will be satisfied. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's a different kind of rule. It's not about oppression. It's not about military might. It's about compassion and love and mercy. And Herod, at the beginning of the story, is the oppressive ruler. And then another king comes, King Jesus. And he's the shepherd, the one the prophets had said to David in the Old Testament, who was also a shepherd before he became king. There'll be another, and he will come. And Jesus wants his disciples to know and the people to know. There may be political oppression. There may be threat. We may be feeding the crowds with the death of our brother fresh in our ears. But I'm the good shepherd. And you need not fear evil. He had comfort for them. He had compassion. He had bread. And Mark has, as he tells this story, in his mind, this psalm. And we'll finish with this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Jesus has everything. He has enough. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Remember the green grass? Why is Mark telling us the grass is green? It's always green in Galilee. Why is he telling us the green grass? Because he's got this psalm in mind. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Where is this happening? By the lake. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Or the valley of the shadow of death, as the older translations say, the death of John the Baptist. I fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table. Over 5,008 that day. In the green pastures by the lake. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Twelve baskets. Surely your goodness and love will follow me. All the days of my life I will dwell in the house of the Lord. This is the king. This is the shepherd king. And he has comfort for you this day. And he has peace for you this day. And there can be many threats and many difficulties in our communities, there can be many things you're facing personally. And we can think what's happening in this nation and some of the laws that get passed and some of the opposition that comes to churches, people preaching the gospel. We need fear nothing because he is the shepherd. He will guide us and lead us. He will comfort us and feed us. And we will always have enough. City Hope, feed the crowds. Oh, they're so hungry. They're so thirsty. They don't have anything like we have. Anything we have, but I've not got enough. You've got everything you need because it comes from the hands of Jesus and he will comfort you and lead you. Amen.